Coit, I think I'm going to join a cult. Said no one ever. Well, Shell, that's because no one ever sets out to join a cult. Usually it's in a very insidious indoctrination process. And you and I both know this personally because between the two of us, we have, what, 37 37 years years. of time spent in two different destructive cults. And that's why we're so excited for a new podcast called What What the the Flock, where we're not only bringing on all sorts of different cult survivors to share their courageous stories, but also to unwind exactly how indoctrination happens in the first place. That's right, Shell, because... Worldwide, there's over 10,000 active cults that they know about, and the stories are endless. But Hoyt, so are the people that want to stand up to this cultic activity. And right here, we're going to provide a safe platform for them to tell those stories. So please join me, Hoyt Richards. And me, Shell Rowland, streaming on every major podcast platform and our YouTube channel. And you'll probably find yourself saying, What the flock? Well, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What, what the, the Flock, <laughs> the show where we give a, a safe space for cult survivors like myself, Hoyt Richards, and my wonderful, beautiful, talented co-host, Shell Rowland. He called me uh, beautiful. Did everyone hear that? The cult, cult survivors <laughs> talking to cult survivors. That's there you we're, go. we're making it cool to talk about our cultic stories and experiences, and um and the last episode, we kind of delved a little bit deeper into my group, and I had one of my good friends uh, who I went through that journey with, Dar Dixon, who came and talked to us. And this episode, we're very excited. We get to delve in a little bit more to Shell's group, because she's got a very special guest of her own that she's invited. And uh, why don't you tell us all about Nixie, Shell? Well, hey, how about you? Do you want to read us the quote of the day? Oh, it's right. She gives me one thing to do and I forget (laughs) Nixie, this quote makes me think of you and me. So this is why I picked it. So Hoyt's going to read it So this is from Mark Jackson. You cannot disrespect the caterpillar and rave only about the butterfly. So life's a journey, right? And uh, it's great to end up with the pot of gold, but sometimes it's a rough ride getting there. Yes, that's uh, for sure. So take it away, Shell. Well, um, first of all, I have to say that Nixie is such a butterfly in my life. We're we're both butterflies, in my opinion. And um, I love that reference because, and I think Nixie, you and I have talked about this so many times I look at the time in the cult that we were in together really as a cocoon of transformation. And I had the choice to look at it as a cocoon or a coffin, a coffin of death, basically. Mm-hmm. And so I remember having to make that choice daily for several years. Like, how am I going to view my experience? Is it a cocoon that led to something really transformational and a metamorphosis and something beautiful? Or is, is it something that I look back on and it was just wasted years of my life, a coffin that led to nowhere? And, and luckily, every day I've been able to wake up and say, no, it's a cocoon. It's a cocoon. Or it was a cocoon, should I say. So I just I thank you up front for just being a part of that process, because when I looked at people like you, just really my, my best friend, especially when we left and everything we went through that was so similar I knew that if you and I could come out as butterflies, that anybody could. And it was just very inspirational to me. And I love looking at you right now with your your bright colors and your bright hat. And you're just such a a bright spot, such a a butterfly. I just love you to pieces. 
So, oh, um, and what I wanted to elaborate on for a second, um, before I ask you some questions, Nixie, is uh-huh. that White and I talked about in, in our first episode that a lot of people feel like to be involved in any sort of cultic relationship or a cult, that you're weak or gullible or dumb or needy or whatever adjective you want to attach there. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's actually so much the opposite. And I think you underscore that just such a brilliant, bright, compassionate, fun loving woman. It actually takes someone very driven, idealistic. You have to be a dreamer. You have to care about other people. You have to care about something bigger than yourselves. And I had joked on our first episode that it's impossible to motivate a couch potato. You can't do it. And if you remember people in our groups, we'd always be getting irritated with the lazy ones, right? Right. And they yeah. were called faithless or prideful or again, attach all those weak adjectives. And struggling. Weak, <laughs> weak and struggling, selfish, uh-huh. just any, uh-huh. any awful adjective because they were resisting or, the, or you couldn't uh-huh. motivate them. And uh-huh. I just think that's so interesting now when I look back that one of my initial, I think I'm pretty much through it now, but one of my initial concerns or something that I felt embarrassed about or a little shame about in the beginning was how people would view me being weak or gullible, that judgment. And I think it's because we had been so judged in the group, Nick, uh-huh. say that I didn't want any more judgment. It's like the right. judgment needs to stop. And we were so judged every second of every day. Right. So right. I think that's something that even as Hoyt and I've been talking during the last couple episodes, it's even made me think more in my own mind, you know, that it's the judgment that I really was afraid of. But um, the fact that we were able to sacrifice all our time, our lives, our money, our money, money, (laughs) all our money. (laughs) Now we work real hard to make that money up. But we we even sacrificed personal choices for relationships. You know, you could only date within the group. So yeah. that that pond was a little shallow sometimes. Slim or, pickings. <laughs> slim pickings. You know, if you got someone that you see that appeared halfway normal, you'd kind of roll with it, you know. Right. So um, I haven't even on the other episodes, Nixie, even said the name of my group yet. Actually, Hoyt, oh. you didn't say the name of yours. Do you want to say the name of yours? The group that we didn't even, we didn't even name it. We'll, we'll, we'll put it in the uh, paragraph. It was Eternal Values. Yours was called Eternal Values. It's kind of catchy. It is yeah. so catchy. Yeah. <laughs> um, Nixie and I. be part of that group. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but the group that we were in that masqueraded around as a, and still masquerades around as a, non-denominational Christian church full of only disciples of Jesus Christ was called the International Church of Christ um, or ICOC, as a lot of people call it. If you look that up, it just auto-populates as cult, 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 cult down the page. Um, Interesting stories on there. Yeah, very interesting stories. And then the offshoot that Kit McKean went to start when people started to rise up against him and put their foot down. He started another group called the ICC, which is the international Christian church. Um, So the ICOC claims they've tamed things down some, 
but the undercurrents there and the teachings are still the same. And I know because my ex is still in it and the way he treats me, eh, pretty good clue that they're still the same. You know, there's been no transformation of his behavior or the way he treats me. So pretty good, pretty safe to guess. It's still pretty much the same. Um, So honestly, Nixie, I almost need you to guide me through some of this. I was trying to think of topics that we could talk about and then dovetail. You know, I, I sent you the three questions that we are framing each episode around, which is how did it happen? Why did you stay? And how did you heal from the trauma? and not feel like a victim. But there, there is a plethora. There are 20 episodes worth of topics that we could pick. So I, I thought what we would talk about together uh-huh. um, it would even help even validate some of what I went through because you were there. Yes, you I saw was. it. Like yeah. you saw some yeah. of the craziest moments in my life, mm-hmm. pivotal mm-hmm. life-changing moments, you know, in my home, with my children, with my ex, all those things. Right. My ex-husband. It's kind of hard right. to call him an ex-husband, by the way. And you know why? Because it, it always seemed so fake and so uh-huh. fabricated. Do you right. know? Like, I rarely use that term. I just say my ex. Well, because so many of the marriages were almost arranged. They were prearranged. Right. You know, piecing us together and trying to match us up in the most effective way, you know, to make sharp ministry couples. Remember you had to be sharp. Exactly. To be sharp. You had to be sharp. (laughs) Everything has to be sharp. Are they sharp? Is that visitor sharp? Do they have all their teeth? Are they sharp? Yeah. Do they have all their teeth? Do they have a job? Yeah. (laughs) So I thought what we would talk. be an attractive um, place to be. Right. Right. So I thought what we would talk about, um, our kind of focus on was the, the dating how the dating uh-huh. went and then what you uh-huh. just touched on the marriages how it was preached from the the pulpit that there had never been a divorce and all uh-huh. of the you know 150,000 members there'd never been a divorce that was one of the claim to fame uh-huh. um so i thought we would would talk about those things but do you want to do you want me to an- briefly answer those questions first and then i'll have you answer them what are you comfortable however, with? You know, however you want to do it. You know, I'm just, I'm glad, you know, I haven't talked about this stuff in a long time and I'm, I'm doing it for you, Shell, because, you know, I mean, we go way back and, and part of it has to do like, maybe it's, it's time that I talk about it. Cause I shove that stuff way deep, deep, deep. And I just started living my life, but right. you just said something like the decisions that we made back then. Um, I think it's because we were vulnerable, you know, and, um, after this whole situation, I just thought that vulnerability was, um, was weak and, and I, I don't see it that way anymore, but mm-hmm. I think that we were vulnerable, you know, when we, when we were, you know, when we were met, you know, quote unquote, <laughs> right. met. when we were, you, when we were preyed upon, when, when we were, were preyed upon, hunted. you know, yeah. then, you know, in the church, they call it, you know, you know, I met this person and. You my know, visitor. A, yeah, this visitor or yeah, you're a visitor. So um, I, I don't know. I mean, if you want to start, I, I can well, start. Well, did you did you two meet before and knew each other before you met uh-huh. in the group? So, yeah. So maybe maybe just start with how you got involved. Were you already in the group at that point? Show? Uh, I, no, sh- yeah. oh, show 1990. Yeah. I, I was baptized into the arms of Jesus in 1990 in okay. the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. 
So, so why don't why don't you say how you where you were in your life and how the kind of I like to refer to it as the perfect storm how it came together mm. um, that this and uh, quote opportunity came about through your life and um, and then we can backtrack and say how how Shell got there too yeah well um, most of the um, the people the sharp people were sought out at the college campuses mm-hmm. and mm. I was this very free spirited. You know, didn't wear a bra, hippie, you know, <laughs> just trying to get through college. But I was in a relationship, which was pretty toxic, you know, and but I wasn't religious. I grew up, you know, Catholic, so I wasn't religious. I was just just, you know, when you're in college, you're just trying to discover how you want to live your life. And I definitely wanted to be of service. Um, sure. Shelly and I had this conversation. I don't know if she remembers this, but. I always felt like I was meant to do something important. I mean, not famous, but important mm-hmm. and significant in, in life. And so um, I, I had an idea that I wanted to go to the Peace Corps um, when I was when I was done with school. And I just wanted to be of service. But right. I'm, I was also in this very toxic relationship. And, and I was in a sorority. My boyfriend was in a sorority um, fraternity. And his fraternity and his paternity brother and his girlfriend were um, in one of our big classes, you know, the, the, um, those ones that you're, there's like 200 people in. And I used to watch them and, um, and think, Oh, then, you know, they're a cute couple. And um, the, the guy, his fraternity brother would, you know, constantly come up and talk to us and stuff and um, started to invite us to church. And because I was in, you know, my relationship was really, not doing well, I thought, well, maybe that will help us, you know, maybe the Lord can help our relationship. Right. No, sure. Sure. You know, and I think that his paternity brother, he had shared with his paternity brother, like, you know, some of the things were, you know, problems we're having. And so we were vulnerable, both of us. Mm -hmm. And, um, so so you went in together. Well, yeah, we went to the, to the first service together Mm -hmm. and I was kind of, you know, it was very loud. I'm kind of an introverted person and, you know, don't like a lot of, it was just crazy. And then plus I was Catholic. So I nurse, you know, there's people loud clapping, singing, hugging. I'm not a touchy feely person, you know, <laughs> and I had all these people trying to hug me and I was just hiding behind. I just remember my first experience was very overwhelming. Right. And, but then I also felt like there was something because of, that day, they, you know, they're always, you know, talking about helping other people. And, and, and you know, I have to say there's a lot of, you know, just like Shelly and I, well-intended people, mm-hmm. you know, that are just looking for something purposeful to do, to, to do in, with our lives. You know, at right. least that, I know that, no, yeah, that I, was our intention. I, I mean, I and would, there's other people that Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that uh, people who are service-oriented and kind-natured are prime targets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So you yeah, exactly. you qualified completely. We're yeah. motivatable. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amb- yeah. Am- ambitions, you know, mm-hmm. like not not necessarily personal mm-hmm. ones, but like you're saying, do something important. You know, leave a footprint behind that you're proud of. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think I have a deep desire for that, and I did even more so when I was younger, mm-hmm. and um, trying to find a direction to go in. So we, um, so when you go, I mean, everybody knows, like because the members of the church will tell other people like I have a visitor come say hi to them come you know so I was like it's like you're a celebrity when you walk in everybody comes and meets you and you feel so much love and you see and because the the church you know recruits, love bombing um people yeah it's like a major love bomb and recruits uh 
like people that are good looking, have, uh, um, mm-hmm. have careers, you know, they, they, they definitely don't reach out to the impoverished, you know, right. you know, down and out people. And, um, that's why they go to the campuses because there's people that, um, are trying to make something out of their lives. So it's just like this big fishbowl. They're like, you know, mm. they, they send people ministry leaders to, mm-hmm. to go to these schools and, and recruit people. So when I, um, went with my boyfriend, um, I was overwhelmed, but then I was also very interested because it seems like the group wanted to do good things, you know, and so, I had been to Christian churches, pretty charismatic churches before. And I, I was not turned on because people just look down and out and just, it was just depressing. I was, right. You know, so, I was like, so, I don't want any of your lives. You know? <laughs> no, I hear that. So could, could you, could you kind of, um, uh, describe what the pitch was that kind of appealed to you? Like what, what were they selling in a, in essence that, that you thought like, well, Oh, salvation. Yeah. Yeah. They're selling, you know, selling salvation, but it wasn't like that whole pray Jesus in your heart. Right. It, was, it was more like, it was more like a motivational kind of seminar using the Bible. It wasn't, I mean, it was all about God, but it was, um, they try to, and the lessons were very relatable. You right. know, the, the wasn't fire and brimstone. Yeah. You well, know? not at first. Even, right. Yeah, at first, you know. Not because, at first. You know, even, right. The fire comes, <laughs> just not at first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not at first. So, so it's like the draw. You're like, oh, okay, well, these people aren't weird like the other churches I've been to. You right. Know? They're relatable. Actually, I remember that the, the preacher and the wife, the preacher, he was a, he was an ex um, professional football player and, mm-hmm. um, and his wife was very beautiful. And I was like, wow, you know, and also, I mean, I don't mean anything offensive by this, but you know, it's like, you know, when you're shallow and you're, you know, you're young, you're looking for like good looking people to look at. Right. And, and so uh, that's what I was like really drawn by. And so their pitch and their, you know, how they're <clears throat> put together, the church actually worked for, you know, someone like me who was, kind of just needing a place to go. Right. So I liked it, but my boyfriend didn't. So oh. that's kind of how it started in our relationship. So, um, because immediately after that, you know, after the service, they ask you to study the Bible, you want to do Bible studies and, and they have a series of Bible studies that they do with you so that, I mean, you can't just pray Jesus in your heart at this church. You have to, you have to do a whole series of knowing what you're getting into. And it made sense to me. So, um, but immediately they're like, after the first Bible says like, you can't sleep with your boyfriend. You know, you can't do this. You can't do that. You know, and I was like very overwhelmed by the I can't. I've been with my boyfriend for like four years. So, right, right. Um, so, that, you know, that in itself was like a whole, and we ended up breaking up. It, almost immediately, like I moved, you know, we move it. There were households. There were households. They encourage households, like on the campus to well, live. we all live together. Church. Yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. you all live together. So and then you have to like there's certain things you do in your household. It's not like a roommate, a regular roommate situation. So, so yeah. you could, you could move from a, your, your dorm room into a household pretty easily. Well, I didn't okay. live in a dorm room. I oh. lived in an apartment and I think they actually, now that I think about it, they moved in with me. They oh, moved okay. Up. Yeah. They moved in with me. My roommate moved out and they moved in with me. I guess nobody can stand my big conversion. <laughs> they lost a lot of friends. <laughs> They're like, wait, I just partied with you like two weeks ago. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. So, yeah. I mean, no, I, I don't think, it, I don't think people realize how sudden it can be. I mean, the story like dark to all this was really, yeah, mm-hmm. it can happen fast. They, they basically say you can be reframed in a weekend. So, um, 
Oh no. Yeah. They, they, I mean, they struggled with me because I was kind of flaky and, you know, they wanted me to wake up at like five in the morning, read the Bible. I'm like, what's wrong with 10 o'clock? Like five in the morning, seriously, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Lord doesn't know like that. I could still love them at 10 o'clock, you know, especially cause I was working full time and going to school full time. It was a immediate pressure to, um, to make commitments. Every time right. you study the Bible, you make, you make a commitment. And, right. You know, this first one was break up with, you know, boyfriend. The second one was change, you know, your midriffs and don't wear, you know, anything that, you know, shows a lot of skin. And I mean, I didn't really dress, you know, too scandalous, but, you know, I used to wear little midriffs or whatever. And, and all of a sudden it was, I remember one time I, I went to church and they, um, one of the, the girls came up to me and said, um, Hey, that outfit is making that brother of their struggle. And I was like, well, tell that pervert to happened all the me. time, you know, mm-hmm. problem solved, you know? And they were like, Oh, that's not loving. And it wasn't even anything. I'm just like, well, right. I mean, a bunch of men that you can't have sex till you get married, you know? Yeah. Like my fat toe and struggle, you know, it's like, that's, it, it was just really intense. Like all of a sudden when somebody isn't religious, doesn't have that background, it was very, um, it was very intense, but it was when you're love bomb and then you, you all of a sudden get like 20 best friends. And, yeah. You know, it's, so, it's so, also. So, so, so start to finish from the, and I mean, finish from like you, you would say how much time elapsed before I was in and I was kind of committed and kind of ready to go. I mean, how, how much time were we talking about? Well, people have always said that was hard because it took me six months because I kept flicking out on these 5 a.m. Bible studies. Because okay. you can't get baptized unless you do all the Bible studies and you do what they say. Like, you know, like they're right. checkpoints. Like there's certain things they need to see before right. you move on to the, you know. So I guess maybe part of it was kind of felt like school too. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like. You know, it's like you have to, you know, get to the final exam and I couldn't get to it. You know, I just wanted to, you know, all these things to be just, I just wanted to take the dive and I couldn't because I had to do all these things, right? you know, to be able to qualify to get baptized. Well, and for example, to qualify, you have to believe that it is the only true church on the planet and that if you're not a true disciple in this church, you will go to hell you have mm-hmm. to agree to give at least 10% of your income every week. You mm-hmm. have to agree to date only within the church. So there are these milestones that some people would hit these stumbling blocks at. Right. Some people would mm-hmm. breeze through it. But again, there's all of these other elements and nuances that they're doing behind the scenes to get you past that. Right. You know what well, I mean? Well, like, we didn't see that until after we, we were deep in and right. we were also in leadership. Right. Then, then we knew when we were doing it. Right. Well, let, well let's yeah. hear how, yeah. you, how you got in now and then how, then how you both meet while you're in it. Uh, so let's hear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I, um, again, perfect storm. We're probably going to use that phrase a lot. Mm-hmm. I was waiting tables at a restaurant, a really f- fun, wild diner called Ed DeBevick's. And mm-hmm. everyone has a fictitious name there. So I was Rosie and this married couple kept coming in and they'd always ask to sit at my station and they'd all say, Half Rosie has to wait on us. Rosie has to wait on us. And so they actually got a little nickname at the restaurant. I can't, I can't remember what it was, but they'd be like, the so-and-sos are here again and they will only sit in Rosie's station. And I'm like, oh my God, they're religious freaks. Put them someplace else, you know, but they kept coming in, coming and coming in. And they would, you know, they were definitely 
priming the pump and praying upon me. And, and at that same time, I was trying to find a church. I was seeking. I was definitely a do-gooder, wanted to be a part of something bigger than myself, wanted to change the world, and was very misplaced. I had um, moved to California by myself from a small farm town in farm-ish town, it's bigger now, <laughs> in Washington, and um, didn't really have any connections or solid friends. I was in college mm -hmm. and working. So you're just, you're in college or working, right. right? So they kept coming and coming in. And then they, after about three months, they would talk to me about God and, well, Rosie, what's wrong with God? Why can't you give him two hours on a Sunday? You know, this, everything was just God, God, God. And so finally I'm like, fine. So I went to a Sunday service with them, happened to be a Father's Day service and hated it. Went in halfway through, told them I was having an asthma attack, which so, I was so not. So what did you hate about it? Well, the two people that were inviting me this whole time, I did not realize were the church leaders. Oh, okay. So he was preaching. Right. And so little things I had told them in passing or maybe shared with them or as maybe vulnerable to them, he was like preaching it at me. Wow. So like, if you think that this is happening in your life because of this, look at this scripture. And the whole church would be like, you go brother, amen. I'm like, do they all know? Do they all know my life? You know? And I just was so uncomfortable and I just was panicking and freaking out. Felt like I was having an asthma attack, right. but I don't have asthma. Have some sort of a panic attack. So I said, give me your keys. Give me your keys. I told her I need the keys to her minivan, believe it or not, which is full of other visitors that we picked up on the way. Mm-hmm. So all these rando people that I didn't know, and then this married couple, I didn't know that he was the preacher till he got up front and started preaching at me. Wow. I thought he was going to throw the Bible at me at some point. But anyway, so I went and sat in the car, um, was quiet the whole way home, arms crossed, not happy. And I get home that night and my mom comes rushing at me, crying, hugging me, saying, he's dead. He's dead. He's dead. And I'm like, well, what's going on? What's happening? What's happening right now? And she's like, your dad, he's dead. And I told her I wouldn't share the circumstances of how it happened, but it was sudden. It wasn't expected. He was only 47 and my life was turned upside down. Right. So they call me that night or the woman did the married woman, the, the preacher's wife. Mm -hmm. She calls me that night. Hey, Rosie always called me Rosie for at least a month after that. I'm like, look, lady, that's not my name. <laughs> but So she's like, Rosie, you know, how's it going? How'd you like the service? Let's do some Bible studies, you know? And I just unload. This is what happened. My dad is dead. And I just unload. And she goes, oh, Rosie, do you know what's happening? I go, no, what? God is trying to get your attention. God himself Good old magical, magical at, thinking. Right. Yeah, Look yeah. at the timing. Yeah. God is here for you. He sent us to you. We knew it. We knew it. That's why we kept coming into the restaurant. We knew this was coming. We knew you would need us. We knew it. Blah, on and on and on and on and on. I'm 21. Mm -hmm. I'm taking a break from school to earn money to pay for school. Right. I'm misplaced. The stuff happened with my dad. I'm a fish out of water in California anyways. I'm a little farm girl, basically. So she's like, meet us Tuesday at the Kettle in Manhattan Beach. Let's talk. 
So I find myself at the back booth at the kettle on Tuesday telling this woman everything that I've never told any other human in my life, which in itself indebts you to someone. There's a connection there. Like they know you, they, no one else knows this. Sure. Sure. So fast forward after many of their regimented, regimented Bible studies, and and it's hardcore. Like if you really look at the scriptures and you set out to follow every single scripture, it is a tall order. Well, it's impossible. It's impossible. It, it's impossible. But it, they that, hold you to that. that. Well, that's the key. You that's know? the it's key. Like you're always falling short. It's you know? a carrot you can yeah. never get. Totally. Right? And you're not even allowed uh-huh. to be human. Yeah. So anyways, so I, again, I, I was probably like you, Nixie. I was I was a little messy for them to study with because I would, I'd have uh-huh. moments where I would have some self-preservation skills and I'd like kind of rise up against the indoctrination and go like, wait, wait, and kind of try to shake it off. Right. But then they're all right there to like suck you back in. And like Nixie also said, this is a, a, a pretty impressive group. And some uh-huh. of them were low key famous actors I'd seen on TV or then they're up there preaching. We've never had a divorce ever. And there's 50% divorce rate in the, country and my parents went through a horrible divorce and that was attractive, you know? Sure. So just all of these carrots, all the, the good looking single brothers that you couldn't date unless you were a part of the group. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but the bottom line is, and the scariest thing is I started to believe what they were saying. Mm. So once you believe it, you stop fighting it. And you go, Uh I must be the problem. Maybe I'm such a big sinner. That's why I'm fighting this. And that's what they tell you. You need to go pray for two hours. You need to go pray for two hours, two days, two all night. (laughs) Nixie and I, we spent what, two nights doing all night prayers on her, on our knees in her living room (laughs) during 9-11. Remember I was at your house Uh when 9-11 happened Uh Uh and we were just, now, now, were you guys watchdogging each other in that sense, or were you kind of resisting? I think I was your discipler at that point, yeah, Nixie. Yeah, no, you were. You were my discipler. But, um, you might want to explain what a discipler yeah, is. Yeah, it's the discipleship tree, which is literally on paper, very mm-hmm. charted, very recognized. You know who's discipling who. Right. Well, call that sister's discipler. You need to call that brother's discipler. I can't believe they looked at you that way. I mean, you'd get pulled into D times discipleship times, D meetings, discipleship meetings, right? So so was it set up like a multi-level marketing type of thing? Yes. Like you had people underneath yeah. you and yes. then they had people underneath you? Everything yeah. was micromanaged. An it's an accountability. Oh, tree. accountability. Mm-hmm. But there's scriptures for that, Hoyt. Right. Well, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's scriptures. You are your brother's keeper. Right. Watch over one mm-hmm. another. You know, even um, uh, we have, we, you you have a right to judge if you see someone else in sin, basically. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. I'm paraphrasing. They wouldn't of course. put it that way, but yeah, they wouldn't put it that way, but yeah, that's basically what you're doing. Yeah. You're judging what they're doing. Yes. You're comparing it to the Bible and then you have, you know, the authority to correct that person and that person needs to take your correction and. Or you, you know, are so. prideful and faithless and have secret sin. And weak and struggling. And you're weak and struggling. And, and co- I can't tell you how many times I heard, I'm so disgusted by you. Oh. So yeah. disgusted by right. you. Yeah. Um, one of my favorites being, and Nixie, you know this story, when 
I was engaged to someone who, I, who I'd never allowed to be alone with, who I didn't know. You know, so, all the, the, so that was policy. That was church policy. Oh yeah, yeah. You, group dates, double dating. Couldn't oh. even invite him into my apartment. Right. Right. Because mm-hmm. sure, we're just gonna fall into some crazy sin. You know. Sure. Wouldn't want to walk into the kitchen or anything. So, um, at one point after we were engaged, I gave him a closed lip peck on the cheek. And it was as if all hell broke loose. From him or from the church? Him and then the church because he turned me in. He backed up and goes, who are you? I was like, what? what Right? And it was just a natural instinct. I was trying to get to know this guy. I'm like, I'm marrying you. I don't know you. Right. Right? At all. Especially not emotionally. Did not know this human. So I had to go to a, you know, a a big discipleship meeting with a group of other people and they called me Jezebel and read me Proverbs about the wayward woman and said I had prostitute-like tendencies for a closed lip peck on the cheek to my fiance. And we weren't allowed to like no French kissing, nothing. It was Oh no. Oh God, no. That's it. Not till you got married. No. Or you'd have to go in front of the church and confess your Uh sin in front of the whole church. Wow. Uh, we had people that had to go in front of the church and confess masturbating. That was always uh-huh. a fun wow. meeting. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So, <laughs> so, so, how many years were you in it, Nixie? Uh, Thirteen. Okay, and you were seventeen. Seventeen. So, so one of my favorite questions about this, because obviously it's so easy to talk about the things that were, I know. were rotten, but it's also important, I think, to offset it with there are reasons why you stay and, and those are usually um, some positives. And I, and I think you have to offset the experience so we get a better picture of the whole kind of can mm-hmm. of worms because it's complicated, right? It's it, If it was all awful, it would be easy to mm-hmm. maybe consider it leaving, but there's got to be something that kind of keeps you going. So, uh, so would you guys well, either want to go you... first on that? Okay. Nixie, okay. and then feel free to mm-hmm. add to what I'm saying or disagree with what I'm saying. But for me... The only positive reason I stayed mm-hmm. was my children. Right. Because I didn't want them to be in a broken home and mm-hmm. I knew he'd make my life hell. Right. Which he did. Mm-hmm. Right. And Nix- Nixie knows those Nixie. stories. Yes. Yes. He did. yes. yes. Uh, sometimes still does. So um, I thought at that point before I had left that that was the, the, the better of the two evils mm-hmm. was to keep it intact. Right. Because I knew financially he would not take care of me or try Mm -hmm. to ruin me or complain about child support. I just knew I was in for a mess. Right. So I stayed. Right. I didn't stay for any other reason. I stopped believing that God was going to crush me at any second. Mm -hmm. If I didn't do X, Y, and Z, I started to grow out of that. And I'll tell you why my marriage was so awful. It ended up saving me. Because it was so awful. The Nixie saw all of this. It was so hideous and ridiculous and fake, Mm -hmm. right? That I thought hell will be better than this. Mm. So I no longer cared. I had no longer uh, any of those fears, which I classify as fear and consequence. Mm -hmm. So I originally stayed because of fear and consequence. Right. Because I believed those scriptures and God hates divorce. I'll go to hell, all these things. I'll lose my community. I'll lose my job. We worked for the church. Right. Church, Mm -hmm. I'm using air quotes, anyone that's listening. 
So the fear and consequence started to go away because I was so miserable. But then it was the children. I would have left probably right around when Nixie did right about 14 years. But I, I had a, you know, I had a young child at that point. We ended up having three and I felt strong enough. I plotted my escape. I got a secret apartment. I was just strong enough then. Sure. So, um, but you had like a good friendship with Nixie, so there were there were some positives, right? In that sense, or, or you mean you, as far as being in the group? Yeah, like 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 there were the, were there people you liked, or with? Yeah, there... I mean, definitely, I wouldn't have Nixie right. without this experience, and that's a friendship that I can never duplicate, right? Because it's like we mentioned in a different episode, we've right. been in war together, we've sure. been in a foxhole, totally. Totally. No one understands me like Nixie does. Right. So, um, yeah. yeah I don't even talk to my husband about this stuff because it's just too hard to explain, you know, and sure. he husband. accepts yeah. it. And he, yeah. You know, he doesn't, you know, my new husband. Yes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, but I think that, you know, for me, it was being part of something. I mean, the, you know, the group wasn't, I, like I said, it, it was full of a lot of well-intended people until you start getting higher up and it just man takes man's, I don't know, I guess man's intentions take over, you know, like yeah. you start veering away and, um, you know, greed, you know, pride, all that stuff starts kicking in. And, um, but I think when you're just, just a regular member, you, you want to, you know, and you, you have faith in the Bible and you want to live a Christian life, you know, which is what. I why wanted, we started and I yeah. wanted a healthy family, but it, it was, uh, for me, it was initially like, I didn't have a life outside of, you know, the group. So, um, I had friends, but I, you know, at my job, but I didn't have, they didn't know me, right? you right. know, they didn't know me. I, I, I felt like super different from them, mm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and, um, I felt uh, like I couldn't relate to them. They couldn't relate to me. And I, I think that happened over time. Sure. It wasn't always that way for me. I always had a lot of friends and stuff, you know, all kinds of different kinds of friends. Right. And um, w- when you're like mind, you know, in a group that's all like minded, you know, and you have tons to talk about, tons to share, you're sharing the same experience, you're doing the same things and that becomes your life. Then, um, I mean, I was in leadership. I wasn't, you know, for, for Shell, it was she was working for the church. This was her livelihood. Right. You know, they try to get um, my you know, my first husband and I to work for the church, but I, I, I didn't want to, which was, I was a sinner because of it. Right. <laughs> you know? I remember you gotten like, you know, yeah. I, I didn't go to school and pay, you know, all these student loans so that I could, you know, do, do this. Like I, I, I had, I have my, my career in mind, what I wanted to do. And it is a service job. So now, um, now, was it frowned upon to have relationships outside the, the, the circle, so to speak? Oh, it was prohibited. Prohibited. Wow. It was prohibited. It was so prohibited. So, so if you were working a job on the outside, you were... Well, let's back up. Yeah. It, it was not frowned upon if you were trying to recruit them and convert them. Okay. You had to have worldly friends. Right. Because you're trying to recruit them. Gotcha. But then we were told, if they're not open, move on. Right. He's just a big sinner. He's faithless. He doesn't want to change. Move right. on. Yeah, I mean, so you they, have like these superficial relationships. Yes, right. fake. Outside. Yeah. No, I, mm-hmm. I think the analogy that that works well it certainly was in my group. Is 
we've pulled you out of the matrix and everyone else is still in the matrix. Therefore, they're yeah, da- they're yeah. dangerous. They're dangerous. But right. if you can somehow. We watched that movie at church. Right? We did watch that movie at church. <laughs> oh, no way. A, did you yeah, really? It was a lesson. It was a lesson. Oh, my goodness. Well, oh my there you God. go. We just brought back a memory. Another yeah. commonality among yeah. I mean, listen, the cults. I think. Uh, yeah, what movie could probably be you know quote, quoted as a documentary nowadays? I mean, it really feels like that. Yeah, sometimes. that's yeah. true. But that yeah. is true. Uh, well, I mean, for me, that's what kept me in. That's, yeah. that's just you know, sure. this became my this became my family. This became my life, my purpose. And um, if, when I did leave, I I think I left for a year in my head. I just didn't know how to physically not come to church mm. because I knew people were going to be knocking on my door, ringing. I mean, I had to have, because you're trained to do that. If somebody in your group, and that's what, that's where the disciple and discipler come in. You have to chase that person down, knock to change on their, their door. You have to change, yeah. chase their tithe money down. You have to chase them down. You are on their mm-hmm. porch. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. So people, and so they, they yeah. Come, yeah, if you don't come to church, especially on Wednesday, because that's when you tithe, you know, somebody's calling you, you know, like, why didn't you come? The kind of stuff. So, so, it's, so hard to, it's hard to leave. So what was the break point for you? When, when did it, when did it finally, and, and what were the circumstances? Like, had you identified them as being a problem or you just knew you had no. to get away or like, how did, you know, it was my marriage too. I mean, because we're, you know, we're kind of, when we, just to explain like relationships in the church, mm-hmm. the leaders, the higher leaders kind of start pushing you towards someone. I actually, my first husband, I actually did like him. So it wasn't like really a range of anything. They try to keep us apart just because they, they were trying to get him to be with somebody else that was his same race so they can go to that country. Mm-hmm. So, but him and I were already, we already liked each other. So, um, I don't know. In your head, you think, okay, I've done everything right. You know, I met my husband at church. I didn't have sex with him before I got married. You know, you know, we, we are, you know, we're a godly family, but it was the most horrific relationship I've ever been in. It was very, so sorry. I mean, because, because you don't know who you're really marrying. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, supposedly like you get marriage counseling before you have to do marriage counseling. And that's where you confess every dark secret to your to your Fiance. future spouse. And that's, yeah. And wow. That's Awkward. Like, uh, wow. <laughs> After not knowing yeah, someone like, and then you sit down and you have to talk about everything wow. and you've never even been sexual things, even sexual things. Sex How many people have you been with? Well, I got yelled at for giving my peck on the cheek and you're asking me that now. Yeah. Oh right? boy. I can imagine. It's like zero yeah. to 60 man in five seconds. And you're not allowed to talk about that stuff on your own. No, so even, um, even like, well, I lived with, um, a minister and his wife for a while when I was in college and they, they timed kind of like 30 minute phone calls. You can, you know, don't talk for too long because then you guys are going to, you know, be cross the line. Focused. Get- yeah. You cross the line. You're refocused. You're just focused on each other. So they kind of like. Because so, we couldn't, so, so we couldn't are, focus are, on each other. We could only supposed, focus on you, recruiting. What would you be speaking about, God? I mean, what would you be doing in these conversations? No, I mean, just talking regular stuff. Or sometimes, you know, a lot of times we, I mean, we, you know, supposedly had a spiritual relationship. Because we talked about everything. Mm-hmm. It was just that they thought that if we talked too long, then, you know, our conversations would start veering away from God or, you know, what we're doing, our purpose. So, 
um, and get focused on each other. So it was like 30 minutes. That's, that's as long as you should be talking on the phone. At least, you know, the rules change depending on the couple and the sure, discipling sure. you. Yeah. But it was, it was, it was very, um, so you really don't know who you're really marrying. I didn't know what I was dealing with except crazy, you know? Yeah. And, um, I think that that's what got me to finally towards the end. I was just tired. Like you, you know, because they don't want divorces in the church, you know, they're constantly getting together with you. We went from a, they had moved us, um, when we got married, they had moved us to an area to, you know, to expand the church because the church that was their goal is to expand themselves everywhere. Um, I mean, I, we didn't even have any, we got married and they asked us like pretty much right before we left, like, Hey, will you move to this place so that you guys can help out the church? And we didn't even have, a, when we were on honeymoon, we had no place to like, when we came back, we didn't even know where we're going to live. Wow. I mean, and that was a lot of couples. They've been through much worse than that, yeah. you know? And, and so I'm here married to a guy I don't really know. And, um, and his, you know, his demons, he doesn't know mine. And, um, he, it was, it was just a crazy show, our relationship. And so I knew that in order to actually get out of the marriage, I was, he had left the church, but they were still trying to draw him back in. And I just think that, that I had to leave. Did you experience any PTSD or anything like that? Uh, yeah, because I tried to, you know, because they ingrain in you that it's the only church you go to any other church, you're not saved. And I still believed in God and I still wanted to live like a Christian life. Sure. But every church that I went into, I would cry because I, I mean, literally I'd have to leave. And I felt sick to be in another church to, because in my head, I was making them wrong. Everything they were saying, it was wrong because it was every, I didn't, I wasn't taught that way and it was, right. they're wrong and I was critical. And so I, I literally have not stepped in a church for, I don't know. 10 years. I don't know. And I still don't, I still like, I think about it. Um, I'm going in and it gives me the chills. Like I just don't want to ever go to church again. I don't go to the group, group, uh, religious type stuff. That's not my thing either after what Mm -hmm. I went through. So I certainly understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I sound like the person I became, like I was sitting there, I'm like, Oh, that's wrong. Oh, that's wrong. You know? And I'm like, what's wrong with me? You know, what's wrong with me? Like, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And I felt like this, it, it was just an awful, it's like trying to be part of somebody else's family, you sure, know, and, sure. you know, being super awkward and you don't know their ways. You don't know their customs. You don't know their belief system. It just, I had to reinvent myself outside of any kind of influences. Mm-hmm. Well, and I was going to tag on to that, Nixie, by the way, I, I didn't share cause I know you have, a hat on and glasses and you have your head Uh down. And I just think that that's, it's so interesting to me that at, after everything we've come out of and what we've been through, that we're just really now talking about this. Like it's taken 10 years to Uh even really. You're the only person I talk to about this. I know. I know. You're the only person I talk to about this. I know. So. Well, until Tell me what I'm you're doing this because you asked me. I know. To. And, I, and I need to. I know I need to, but I, I know. And you don't you don't need to. Uh-huh. But I appreciate uh-huh. you um being willing to. How's that? I, I appreciate that. I just that. want to be of service I know to anybody you do. else that yeah. is going through it. So I don't that hasn't changed about me. And it, I know. it was who I was before and then I and I believe that's who I still am. Mm-hmm. But 
and it was buried so deep. Like, I'm like, it's almost like I'm out. Oh my God. And reinventing myself and trying to figure out how to be single, try to be, you know, try to live like a life outside of, you know, uh, what of this, of Uh. this church, you know, I, I, I just felt like I wanted to shove that so deep and, and not go back to it because it was painful. It was painful to leave. I cried. I had anxiety. I had to get on medication. You know, at the same time I was getting a divorce, you know, and there was a lot of loss there. I was losing friends. Um, I was also, and I think a lot of it had to do with me. Like I didn't want to talk to anybody because I knew that they were going to try to talk Like they're trained, even if well-intended, they're yeah. trained to try to get me to come back. So I, I knew I had to just let Cut go it of off. my friends. Yeah. So, um, Nixie, Mm -hmm. In closing, kind of wrapping this up, tell me what you think about these statements that I'm going to make. Because, you know, I was doing research. There are anywhere from 500,000 to 1 million people that the ICOC would call fallaways. I call Mm -hmm. them smart defectors, (laughs) but fallaways, right? And survivors. Survivors. Yes, they're survivors. But I didn't realize there was that many. But, you know, we we were converting so many people Uh that the turnover was also exponential, right? Uh We'd have people in our group, Hoyt, that they would just disappear. Mm -hmm. Like a family Uh would get them or they'd wake up and they're gone. Right. Right. And then we'd try to find them for a couple weeks and then we would just call them a fall away and say mm-hmm. they had a secret sin or something and they disappeared, you know, or, or whatever. But you think about the reason there's Facebook groups and um, survivor websites for our particular cult. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's not by accident. There's people that are trying to make sense, you know, of all, uh, some of us almost two decades, uh, Nixie, you know, almost 15 years of her life. Mm-hmm. But here's what's interesting. The people that are still there, right? My ex being one of them. It was the best thing that ever happened to them in their minds. Mm -hmm. So the people that are Mm -hmm. still in those occasionally, some of them will reach out to me. Like they feel sorry for me. Mm -hmm. Like, Uh Oh, we were praying for you. We just want to know how you're doing. And some of them have fantastic marriages. Like, and Uh I wanted to just publicly acknowledge that because I know I'm going to get comments. Mm -hmm that the church is the best thing that's ever happened to them. And I don't see it because I'm following Satan now or just in secret sin or, or too prideful, whatever the you know dialogue I've gotten over the years. And I, I believe that they, I believe them. Mm-hmm. Like the ones mm-hmm. that say, I met my husband or my wife in the group. And Nixie, you'll, you, you, I'm sure you'll agree. A lot of these people married up. Mm-hmm. It's people uh-huh. they wouldn't have found in the world. Right. So uh-huh. I kind of agree with them. Like you did score, buddy. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> make sure you keep her happy because in the real world, that wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. You know? So yeah. some of them, it was the best thing that ever happened. Right. And they're happy and they're thriving. And, and I acknowledge that if it works for you and you think uh-huh. it was fantastic and is fantastic and you're happy and your marriage is happy and you are so great that this all happened. I applaud that. Like, I don't wish them any harm, Mm -hmm. but there's also Mm -hmm. 500,000 to a million of us that are like, we are still struggling with PTSD. Mm -hmm. 
you know, it took me three years to stop. And I still have the twitch, but my twitch was really bad when I left. I have this twitch. It was. I'm it sure was all the camera people can see it. Overworked. I was overworked. Oh, I didn't sleep. For, was always working. I was so always. overworked. I didn't sleep for 17 years. Let's put it. Let's be honest. You're always frazzled. Frazzled. And, a know. mess. Just overworked. But um, what I'm getting at is there are a, the the 128,000 that are still there. Mm-hmm. They probably think it's fan freaking tastic. Well, yeah, I, I I would say that you know obviously when you're brainwashed, that's the that's the, the case. That's the <laughs> that's the war chant. But uh, ultimately, thankfully, we always have that little voice inside that's kind of like, uh, and it's just hopefully there's the situation occurs to such a point like you guys reach where you're like I anything's better than this, right? Yeah. And, uh, it's 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 the uh, everyone talks about it hitting rock bottom. Yeah. Right. And if until you hit rock bottom, you're not there yet. So right. that's when all that rationalization process is going on. And um, I've always said to everybody, as as shitty as cult life was, the aftermath is much tougher. Trying yeah. to make sense of what I got myself into, how did it happen? You'll be able to forgive myself and be able to make sense of it and search for those silver linings and those life lessons that could make me feel empowered by the experience rather than something I was shameful or wouldn't talk about. Right. Yeah, you know, that's one of the things Not I Not everybody could say that. You know, there yeah. are a lot of people that I know that left and and it really destroyed it them destroyed because already them. they yeah. were vulnerable. And, and, you yeah. know, no, that's vulnerable. right. Yeah, and that's why and that's why I you know we want to do this show is to show that mm-hmm. you know the I can certainly say and I've talked to ex members of my group that you know that we're not comfortable about being interviewed. Well, well interviewed or even being transparent about what their experience mm-hmm. of anyone outside that experience. And right. I said, I said mm-hmm. one thing I know for sure: um, if I do, if I say nothing, nothing will change. If I say something, there's a chance something changed. So mm-hmm. I'll have to say something because it certainly makes me feel better yeah. to take ownership of, of my experience and and find the because not everyone wants to listen. Not everyone is going to understand, but you do find people. And there is a lot of cult survivors out there, not just from your group, from many. And you would uh-huh. find um, a lot of compassion and support from those people. So mm. um, it's one of those things that you know, we're all on the journey together. Right. But uh, it's important to know that we're all kind of in right. it. Well, something else I wanted to throw in there too. I'm, I'm thinking of a co- uh, several people that I have on my Facebook. I try not to have anyone on Facebook that is still in the group mm-hmm. because it can trigger me or they'll post a scripture, but they use it like a dagger. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like this a very like threatening scripture. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, we're done here. But um, um, there are some married couples on there that were introduced in the cult, the church, got married, and then went on to leave the cult and now go, in their opinion, to another much healthier, you know, Christian church, which doesn't function, Mm -hmm. you know, as a cult, meaning you come and go as you please, you go on Sunday, basically. And they are, again, very happily married. So for them, Mm -hmm. I applaud that. I'm very happy. I just know the people in my circle and most of those that did leave have struggled with PTSD, devastation, Uh financial, you know, destruction, all those things. And so it's definitely, I guess what I'm getting at is it's definitely a variety Mm. of results when you're dealing with that many people. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like when that many people were part of it and that many people left, 
um, I'm acknowledging that I think everyone's end result is somewhat different. Sure. I think the trauma is the same and the PTSD can be the same and the recovery process needs to happen for everybody. But mm-hmm. I think their outcomes and where they were spit out of this machine was a little bit different. Sure. You know, for everybody. Sure. I, I think that's, wouldn't you say that's safe to say, Nixie? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that when you leave, there's so much fear instilled in, in you because you know, when you're leaving, they're telling you, you know, you're not, you know, you're going to go to hell. You're not, yeah. you know, you're not going to be saved. And so you have to get through all those things, you know, and you have to, you have to find your way to your authentic self again, you know? Right. And, and some people don't have the tools for that. They didn't have it before. And they that's the point. Yeah. They didn't have it before have it and they before. don't have it now. So for me, I just use it as a, a life experience that right. just made me who I am now. You know, so it's, it's not, who, it's that part of me is like, even, you know, cause our marriages were kind of integrated and all that, at least for Shell and I, you know, like it kind of came hand in hand. The trauma from our marriage came from right. being with someone in the church and, well, it was a prison inside of a prison. Yeah. It was like a yes. double layered prison for us. So we related to each other, you know, yes. a lot. We're surviving together. We're yes. surviving yeah. together, both our marriages yeah. and, um, and the cult. And, yeah. And the cult, because, you know, when you have kids and, you know, it's it just, it was all intertwined. And, right. Um, so I kind of set that aside just to get through. And I had to. That's how I was able to leave. I was like, you know what? I'm going to have to leave so I can get out of this marriage. You know, right. I, I sure. Yeah. Leave. Yeah. Same here. Feel like everybody looks at you when your marriage is weak, like you're just that weak and struggling. You know, you've you're you've just dropped down to the bottom level. You know? You're at the bottom of the totem pole when you have a yeah, weak marriage in this group. Them, you know, yeah. Yeah. Because of your marriage, you're judged. Right. You're, you know, right. Told so many things, you know, that, you know, that, you know, that, that it makes you feel. I mean, I basically felt like, OK, well, God's not with me anyways. So. Right. Might as well leave now. What's the point? Well, Nixie, look at you now, my girl. Big butterfly wings. And as we started this conversation, the cocoon of trans there we go. (laughs) The cocoon of transformation. (laughs) It was so amazing to really bust out of that cocoon together and watch both of our sets of wings grow. It's honestly one of the biggest joys of my life is having you as my friend, I, I, hands I down. We go deep, deep, deep. We, we, we go, go way, deep. Way <laughs> well, on that note, Hoyt, how about you close us out with the uh, the quote of the day yes. as we dovetail back to our quote yeah. of the day, Nixie. You cannot right. disrespect the caterpillar and rave only about the butterfly. Cannot Thank disrespect you. the caterpillar and rave about the butterfly. So we have our caterpillar stage, but now... <laughs> It's butterfly wings, baby. Look at these wings. Look at these wings, bitches. Look at these wings, for sure. I appreciate what you guys are doing. I think what you're doing is a really good thing. It really is. I mean, you're going to reach so many people and help so many people. I mean, I do watch a lot of shows on cults just maybe because I, you know, I could relate, you know. Sure. Maybe I'm looking for someone to relate to still. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and I do understand it. And I I never want to fall into that or let any of my girls fall into that. Right. And um, I want to stay educated. And I think what you're doing is educating people and help them understand um, what it looks like and. Um, that, that they're not alone. Right. You know? Exactly. I appreciate that. Nixie. Well, I'm so glad you two found each other. 
Yes, yeah, yes, me great. too. Yeah. So, all yeah. right. Great well, call. Nixie, don't forget to follow us on TikTok and Instagram. You yeah. know, I'm going to get that plug in somehow. <laughs> TikTok, yeah, yeah. Instagram. We're get, we're doing a lot of storytelling, peppering in some, you know, organic humor and, um, you know, able to laugh at the ridiculousness of it all as we all heal together. So I know. I know. I'll be following you guys. All and, right. And I love you, Nixie. I, you I love you. I'll call you soon. Show. Nice to meet you, okay. Nixie. Take care. Nice, isn't it? Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All righty. As always, please, please guard your hearts and your minds, my friends. No one should have control of these except you. We'll see you next time. <laughs>